Dotnet Rocks episode 811 with guests Alan Stevens and Leon Gersing. Recorded live Wednesday, October 10th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Hey Columbus, welcome to .NET Rocks. Awesome. Holy crap, what a crowd. They're, they're crazy in Columbus. They are crazy in this Columbus. Is a great space, though. Yeah. You know what I noticed about this? Because when you walk in, the, there's just like no sound. The only sound you hear is the explosions happening in the movie theaters next to you. We were in a movie theater, and I, you know, I have a studio, a recording studio. And I looked behind the curtains and the walls, and there's fiberglass there. Turns out fiberglass is a really good material for absorbing sound. And it absorbs all the way from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So it does a great job all the way down into the bass spectrum, as well as a much better job than foam, studio foam. So I was very happy to see that because, you know, I did my studio the the same way. It's good enough for you. Yeah, exactly. So we're on the road trip. We are on the road trip. And we are in Columbus. Right, so we are only 10 stops into a 37-stop road trip. .netrocks.com slash roadtrip.aspx. If you haven't seen what we're up to, go there and find a city near you and sign up. And Come out and see stops. us. You know, we're, this is a classic evening stop. We have a few of these. They run about 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Uh, they're longer than a regular thing because we do a lot of stuff. Right. Then we have the code camps. We're going to be at the Nova Code Camp in Reston mm-hmm. and the Tallahassee Code Camp in, oddly enough, Tallahassee. Right. Uh, and then uh, the ending stop is the really nutty one. Yeah. Dev Intersection. Dev Intersection. Have you heard of Dev Intersection? Yeah! Wow, they take cues really well. <laughs> Dev Intersection is a new conference Rich and I are spearheading. It's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, it's going to be December 9th through 13th. That's right. And very special. So Scott Guthrie is going to be there. Yeah! Scott Hanselman's going to be there. And one of the cool things is you're going to see Windows Store apps from the three vectors of attack, right? You're going to see... This was my great idea. I thought of one good one. And it was my friend Carl Franklin does an awesome job, and I think you guys saw a version of it today, of building Windows Store apps with C-sharp and XAML. Am I right? Yeah! Well, this is kind of like, you know, being a reverend. Yeah. I like this. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, so we also asked Kate Gregory to come to the show and build a Windows Store app using C++. Right. And then I figured we might as well rind out the trifecta. So Mr. Chris Sells himself, Mr. WinJS, right. the only guy with two years of experience building Windows 8 apps at this point, is going to be there to build a Windows Store app using HTML and WinJS. Because he's the guy who figured out how to do that in yeah. Microsoft. He, he built it. He built it. So it's going to be a great conference. And of course, uh, we are going to be giving away a special device. And if you sign up by November 1st, you get an ARM tablet. Woo! Ooh, ah. 
Yeah. And so it, what happened is if you're planning to go to Build, Build sold out in an hour. And it's going to be on Microsoft campus, so there's not a lot of people that get the privilege of doing that. But we have the uh, benefit of a couple of months of digesting the stuff from Build, having all the experts that you know and love come out and uh, tell you what's really going on. So it's a great story. DevIntersection.com. All right, so let's jump right into Better Know Framework. Theme music. Theme music goes here. Very nice. <laughs> Very strange, weird theme, theme music. We love that theme music. Yeah. What do you got for me, sir? All right. Well, today I figured I would just uh, tell you how to do a search contract in a Windows Store app, something that I showed the audience here, and there are really two steps to it. Okay. The first thing you have to do is you have to go down to the bottom of your list in the Solution Explorer in your project, click on the App Manifest. Okay. You right-click on that, select Properties, or double-click on it, and then a dialog box pops up. And then you go to the declarations tab and you add a declarations for a declaration for search. And that tells Windows 8 that you want to implement the search contract. Okay. Now you need a little bit of code to do that. So there's a great template. If you just go to your project and add a new item and in that list of items you can add, there's a search contract and that adds the, the goo. And also a special page that you can use to filter your search results. So the end result of this is when somebody's using your app, they swipe the charm from the, from the right and they hit the search button and they type something in there. That comes in as an argument to that search page. Nice. And then you can display. Uh, your content however you want. But if you have a main page that has all your items or your, your, your initial set of data displayed in there, you can just change that search page one, uh, class type to main page, which is oh. your main page. And then in your on navigated to in your code handler, you know, in your code behind there, main page, uh, XAML.cs, you can just check that e.argument value and that will have the text that they typed into that search. Nice. And you can use that to filter your results. And, and really do whatever you want at that point. Do whatever you want. Sure, that's cool. So there's the tip of the day. Nice. Better know framework. I know some more framework. Know it, learn it, love it. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? I, you know, you may find this a little serendipitous, but I grabbed a comment off of show 802. Wow. Entitled, mysteriously, Alan Stevens Talks Leadership. And this comment comes from a fellow by the name of Michael Christian, who says, Great episode. Recently, I've been speaking about communication and leadership at user groups and code camps. Teams fall apart without a binding force, creating the environmental problems typical to many development departments around the world. Clear, concise communication is a major factor in achieving leadership. The key to clear communication is putting aside your opinion, listen to what other people are saying, and then repeat back to them how you interpret what they said. Repeat until a consensus is reached. The opportunity will present itself for your opinion to be offered. Don't force your opinion or ideas upon them or interject. This technique naturally fosters leadership. You show you their ideas are valuable by trying to understand them. This instills a feeling of worth and that they, as a person, matter to you. When future opportunities arise, they are far more likely to come to you for advice, etc. At that point, you have become a leader. My day job involves working with natural COBOL programmers. They support a legacy system being converted to .NET. This involves daily discussions where we start with the antipodal positions and work to a common understanding of both sides of the issue. 
Showing respect for the other person's knowledge of the issue and humility for their own position are critical to keeping discussions civil and relationships healthy. Thank this you. person's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we going to go from there? Sorry, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for another excellent episode. I can't wait to see number 1,000 roll out. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do for that. Yeah. that's uh, We're already struggling for the zero zero parties. What about the zero 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 party? Yeah. It's going to have to be epic. I'm thinking Las Vegas with gr- showgirls and stuff. Nice. Okay. That's epic for you. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we can get Elon Musk to shoot us up into space for that Show 1000. That would be a hell of a show. <laughs> It'd be Carl and Richard go, ah! <laughs> Experiencing serious G-force. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for your uh, your, your comment. Uh, absolutely, I, I buy into it wholeheartedly. How, you know, that's very much the Stephen Covey, to influence first, you must be influenced. That's right. exactly what you're talking about. Uh, it's, it's not a trick. It is basic intelligence. If you don't understand the person you're talking to how could they possibly understand you and so thanks for your comment a dotnet rocks show mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug all you got to do is write a comment on the site at dotnetrocks.com and before we go any further i need to tell you that plural site provides comprehensive developer training online they have over 300 hardcore developer courses authored by people such as appear on our show and the leaders in our business uh, with topics including android ios HTML. HTML, JavaScript, pretty much everything on the Microsoft stack, including Windows 8. And uh, subscriptions plans start at $29 a month, and you can check them out at pluralsite.com. And with that, I would like to introduce our guests, Alan Stevens and Leon Gersing. Uh, Alan, you've been on the show that Richard was uh, mentioning, and your bio is epic. And I can't remember it, but I just remember it as being really awesome. Uh, I believe it begins with uh, Alan Stevens is the uh, Winston Wolf of software development. Yep. And it ends with he is also a jerk on Twitter. Nice. <laughs> and Leon, what can we say about Leon? He's Mr. Ruby. Mr. Ruby community. Leon Gersing. That's Welcome. To, good. Well, is that good I'll enough? I'll take it. Sure. It works okay. for you. <laughs> very cool. He's the Ruby Buddha. Yeah. Nice. The Ruby Buddha. We um, are talking, you did another talk here just, and, and you got Leon into it about leadership. And I think just as much about leadership, it's about being an influencer, which is really what we're talking about. So not, it, it's not just enough to survive the corporate culture, but it, it, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, if you, what's the point of leadership if you don't have anywhere you're going, yeah. right? So uh, you've got to influence people and you've got to uh, bring them into your vision and take them somewhere. And not necessarily for the sake of it being your vision, but uh, the bring them into their own best that they can be. I mean, being a leader is uh, about listening, as the, 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 the commenter was saying, and it's also about finding the best direction for, uh, for the team. And right. whatever and, that might be. And, and that's, you know, the subtitle of my talk on leadership is leveling up. And really what I'm talking to is the the crowd here tonight and people that come out to code camps and that sort of thing. They are more interested in their career and 
they either already are leaders or they're soon to be leaders mm. and uh, trying to give them the skills and let them know what lies over the horizon for them. I mean, I, I interact with people who listen to podcasts on other subjects and they typically tend to be either A, much more well-informed about that subject than I am or B, just really good bullshitters. <laughs> so, and, and sometimes maybe it's a little bit of both. Funny that you mentioned that when Leon and I are on the show. Nice. No, no, no. I didn't, and I don't Point mean taken. you. I mean, right. I mean, when no, I'm talking. we own it. It's okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of people that listen to podcasts totally on, you know, like financial stuff or stocks or the economy or whatever. And, you know, you have these conversations with them and they seem to be really well informed. And, you know, little things that I learned from those conversations, I can go back and check and usually, you know, they're, they're accurate. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's this problem in corporate culture that we have, especially because everybody's so different and likes to see that the way they came to a solution is the way that everybody should come to a solution. But on top of that, sometimes it gets personal and vitriolic. And I call these poisonous people, like poisonous people. And so it's really about the company you keep can do more for your psyche in keeping your head above the water than I think many people understand. Do you think that's a fair assessment of a well, situation? Yeah, I think the point you made of uh, things becoming personal is what what we want to avoid. I think yeah. a lot of what uh, we talked about tonight uh, is about preventing things be from becoming personal. You know, mm. if you're building a vision and you're part of a team and you have a shared identity, then you, you begin with the assumption that the other person is trying to get to the same goal you are, whether you agree with them or not. Yeah. You talked about in the, in the talk earlier, uh, this idea that healthy teams tease. Yes. Mm. And, but then it also, it's like it can get too far that the, if all teasing becomes very sarcastic, it, it becomes caustic. Leon, you want to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out where the line is. I, there, the line is is intangible. It's in constant motion, and you're never going to be able to define it. Mm -hmm. That's why being able to listen and to be present at all times is important. Um, you know if a joke lands. Right. You also know if it hurts. Yeah. You even know if the other person that it hurt is laughing. You know, you know when you messed up. Mm -hmm. The question is, do you go back? Like, do you go back and say, you know what? I, I, I think I put you off there a little bit. I think I crossed the line. Though. Yeah. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Did I? Or did I not? And they're, oh, no, it was fine. Okay. Well, Usually. if it was, it's cool. You know, just let me know and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll try and watch it. You know, just even admitting that, yeah, you, you messed up. You got, you got carried away. Yeah. You said something you shouldn't have said. Also, that the, there's really no cost to apologizing. There's you none. know, leading with the apology. I don't know if I did or not, but I want to apologize anyway because I right. felt like I crossed the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. There, there's no cost in apologizing early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's if you put it off and things right. fester, then it's a lot harder. Although you, you also say, find, but then if you're playing, if that's cover up, then that's what it is. Right. This is something different between a genuine apology and I'm covering up because I've been called out. Mm. The person who thinks they have to give or manufacture an apology because they still think they're in the right can't give an apology. It's like telling my, my daughter to apologize to her brother for doing something awful, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. 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 I didn't mean <laughs> to hit you with that chair. Right. Or, or the, the faux apology, which is more like, I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. Oh, right. I'm Rather, sorry you uh, feel that way. Yeah, I'm oh. sorry you feel that way, which is really not an apology for your behavior. No, that's yeah. an insult. That's an it's insult. It's an insult, that, right. That's, I'm sorry that you don't have... And a, a sense of humor in line with mine. Right. So, therefore, you're still inferior to me and I am judging you. Yeah, exactly. It's but, terrible. But all of this comes back to listening to people, right? So, if even if you are teasing or you're being sarcastic, if you're listening to other people, you know when you've crossed a line. But if you're not listening, then you're just a bull in a china shop running over other people and their intentions. And then when things get difficult and you need something from that person, they're going to be a lot less likely to work with you. I feel really sorry for people who grow up in a culture of, of complaining. And, uh, and I know people like this and have recently met people like this whose, whose family and, you know, sisters and brothers, uh, when they get together at holidays, it's a bitch fest, you know, and, and the way that they relate to each other is by calling each other on the phone and complaining, right? You, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I've been on teams like that. Yeah. Where, you know, as soon as we're done with a meeting, everybody goes to somebody else's office and then they all play A and it awful. Right. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and on top of that, so the sar- those tend to be the most sarcastic people I think you know I like what you said Leon sarcasm should be used like salt you know you, you use it for effect when something is too bland a pie in the face you know kind Absolutely. of thing uh, just to get an, a change of, of uh, view but when everything is sarcastic and and you said it perfectly after a while people don't know if you're joking or not they really don't know what your position is This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. When a culture gets that way, there's probably a sense of futility behind it. We, we feel like we can't actually influence and make our lives better. Right. And so we're just going to sit around and be snarky about everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I combat that. And and did so early in my time at Edgecase because it was a when, when there were nine people in the room it was it was nine males and it was easy and the, most of them were trending young right so mm-hmm. the ages yeah. of twenty one to twenty six and very few of us were older than that uh, so it was very snarky it was very sarcastic it was very cutthroat and my counter to it eventually was to to really allow myself to be insulted. Or let my feelings be hurt if they were actually hurt. Yeah. 
Right. Not to always be the tough guy. Right. right. And I think that we do that. Like, we'll put on the facade, we'll laugh through it, we'll go through it. But there are times when it's just like, no, no, that one hit way too close to home, Jack. Like, yeah. let's go chat about that. You know, there's an interesting dynamic to all of this. You cannot tease someone you don't know. Yeah. Like, exactly. I mean, the positive side of this is it's a way of displaying in a lighthearted form, I understand you. Uh, but it can go so far as to be cruel. Yeah. But, but that's the positive side of it. And that's why I encourage humor is far too often teams are too formal and mm -hmm. too businesslike. And they, it's like we act like we're not actual human beings and we don't actually know one another, right? And so encouraging humor is a way to kind of break that down. And then we're relating to each other uh, on a very conscious one-to-one -one level rather than your role and my role. Right. Uh, so uh, I think Leon made a great point that that can go too far. But if you come into, uh, if you come into a, an office space, you can read the vibe. Yeah. And if there's not humor in the air, yeah. that's the first thing I want to encourage. I agree. You know, I think it can also go too far the other way, which means that uh, people who... Um, sort of you know where where they're where they're hurt on their sleeve and you better not go there and they use that as a sort of means of controlling other people uh, victim you know? as weapon yeah victim as weapon and, and that's what what we want to discourage is we want to have a lot of uh i think it's covey that talks about it uh as emotional margin yeah we've got room to play on either here, side right? right and uh and you know those are the people i like to work with best is when we disagree it doesn't become a personal issue. You know, that's one thing. That's one reason my business partner is my business partner is he can listen to me rant and rave about something that he said or did. Mm -hmm. And then he'll say, are you done? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then we'll go on because it's never personal. Right. But if you don't have any of that margin, then every little thing that goes wrong and things go wrong in software development all the time. Right. They they blow up into bigger issues. Sure. I mean, is that really a fair statement to say it's never per it's not personal? I, Isn't it incredibly yeah. personal? I couldn't I couldn't disagree with the, the personal thing more. Yeah. Like for me, it's all personal. Yeah. Like every, I feel it, all it is of more it, a statement every, of trust yeah. than it is. It's all personal. Insult my code, insult me. Right. Well, code having an emotional relationship with your code is healthy as long as you understand what it is. It is yeah. an artifact, is a snapshot and of a moment in time in which you saw the world. It, code is a living representation of who you are right now, like mm. right when you wrote it. Mm -hmm. If you if tie yourself emotionally to that year over year over year, you're tying yourself to emotional baggage that you should have processed and let go of sure. when you wrote it. So be proud of the code you leave behind. Be proud of what you're saying today. But be open to the fact that you're going to do it better tomorrow. And that's predicated on having good relationships with other developers. Yeah. Well, isn't that a sign that you've grown as a developer, that when you look at something you wrote six months or a year ago, you want to rewrite it because you know a better way to do it now? Yeah. Yes, but I think that the trend in, is to apologize for it profusely. So you wrote it, you apologize now for then, instead <laughs> of saying, oh, I see then now, and now I can rewrite it right now. Here we go. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, and let's do it together, and it'll be fun. Blah, blah. You know, the, the time that it takes to complain about something that you wrote <laughs> is half the time it would take to fix it now. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Leon, I heard you say that in, uh, in your talk at Madison Ruby, and I had a... Uh, 
I had a project, it was a collection of my tips and tricks that I've been using and consulting for years that I'd wanted to put together and, and open source, but I'd been using a private repository for it. And, and I heard you express that very thing that you've never had anybody not apologize for their code. Hmm. You know, if they're going to show hmm. you the code, they're going to apologize. And I took that to heart and I just went and pushed it straight out on GitHub, put it all out there. And I told people, I gave people a link. I said, this is all crappy and unfinished. Help me finish it. And that's fine. <clears throat> I think it's just being honest. That's where you are. The, the quote he's talking about is that I've never met a developer who didn't show me their code without first apologizing for right. it. Right. And that right there just changes it. You want to stop apologizing for it? Go ahead and put it out there. Yep. And the first person who ridicules you for doing it, thank them for their feedback and move on. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're a jerk and we're not going to be friends, but you gave me great feedback. So thanks a lot. Yep. Awesome. Like, whatever. Or ask like, them for a pull request. Or yeah, give me a pull request and be done with it. Like, <laughs> you know. I, yeah. I, I, I don't feel like we want to... You know, they don't want to pussyfoot around code. You really do want to explore it and want to make it better. Sure. But, uh, it, and it feel like we get over-invested in given pieces. Well, that's part of that taking things personally is mm -hmm. if I don't want to criticize your code, I just want the code base we're working on together to be the best it can be. Right. You know, and, and in and order to do that, you, you need to criticize the code. And that's where you need to have that emotional margin. I was on a team where, um, code review, you couldn't push, you couldn't commit without a code review. Right. You know, there was, there was a gauntlet you had to go through. Mm -hmm. And initially that was really hard, mm -hmm. you know, because I'd have some junior developer tearing me apart. Yeah. Right? You know, but what I learned over time was every time I got to where I could actually push, it was better. Right. My code was undeniably better as a result of that. But, and I also think that if, the only people who are involved in that process are all people who have to do that process. You know, a lot of the vitriol starts to come out of it. You, you don't go, you know, whether thou goest, right? You bash, you're going to be bashed. You right. know, there is a way to provide constructive criticism, but well, I don't think this criticism is, is a problem. Criticism, you need to be critical. No, yeah, yeah. Criticism is not a problem. Critics are a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's fine. Like, if you want to do code reviews, like on in our group, like, yeah. like, great, fine. That's fine. You better contribute code. Yeah. You get to sorry. You get to have a seat at the table when you earn a seat at the table. Yeah. Yes. And the way to earn a seat at the table is simply show us your code. Yeah. Like, contribute. Well, and and it also, if you're going to say that sucks tell me why and give me a solution that's alternative mm -hmm. right don't just throw stones and I, i'll tell you you know i've been i've been partners with people who uh i have just destroyed the team with that kind of you know just sitting back and throwing stones well that sucks mm -hmm. right oh you're gonna tell me why well because this well so what should we do differently Make it not suck, you know. Right. Like that's go their, on. That's their yeah, critical. Right, exactly. You have my rapt attention. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm to all tell ears. Me why it sucks I'm until all you ears. actually have a noun in your sentence. Right. <laughs> I was telling the, this story the other day. Uh, I w used to do consulting, building a website for a company, and <clears throat> I'd been coding all day and all night, and I finally got to sleep at like midnight. And about three o'clock in the morning, my phone rings, cell phone. You know, I'm like, you know, because I had to keep it on because of something, whatever, you know, because I, I was on an electronic leash. And, you know, my wife wakes up. I'm just like, sorry, I'll take this. Hello? Now you got to picture me. Three o'clock in the morning. I'm like three hours into my night here. Carl, the website doesn't work. <laughs> the system is And down. I said, yeah, right. can you be more explicit? It doesn't 
fucking work. <laughs> yeah. That was <laughs> that was the feedback I got. Yeah. But you know, I don't know morning. if you guys have ever tried to build an internal project for uh developers to use. Oh but boy. we're the worst users. Oh for sure. We're yeah. the most hypercritical. We give the least detail in our bug reports because <laughs> we assume the person building it understands and and can read our mind. Yeah. Uh and and you know, we we criticize uh our customers for giving us those ki- that kind of feedback. It's yep. broken, right? But uh we do it to one another and I think a lot of what we're talking about here is communication, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And communication requires time. It requires clarity. It requires details. And uh, and that's why, you know, Twitter is great because it connects people together, but it doesn't give those subtleties and the right. full details. And so we shouldn't take that kind of online, you know, little bits and spurts of, of communication and bring that into our team and corporate culture. Yeah. Uh, you know what time it is? Really? Yeah. It must be that happy time again. It's that time to give away a uh, a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky winner of the, a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Cool. You guys are all members of the .NET Rocks fan club, right? right? How many of Excellent. you? Excellent. All awesome. right. I love the way they just, yeah, on cue. This is a great audience. You guys are awesome. Can you come to the studio every time we do a show? <laughs> All right. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .narocks.com and click on the Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and you too could win. Uh, every December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology handpicked by Richard the Toy Boy and myself. Today's winner is Jeremy Papke. Jeremy! Woohoo! Congratulations. Not a golf clap, a big clap for Jeremy. A big clap for Jeremy. He wins a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. Everything Telerik does in one box. And of course, if you want to learn more about that, go to Telerik.com. Awesome. So we were talking about this, these sort of poisonous personalities in the, in the company you keep. Um, is it as simple as, you know, trying to make new friends? I mean, if you're, you're stuck in that, in the crew that you're hanging out with, changing your job, um, changing departments, sometimes, you know, you, you can't expect to change other people, just change yourself and your situation. I think it was Leon that I first heard say, you have to change where you work or change where you work. Right. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know where I picked it up, but yeah. Uh, that's an old Jack Welsh, change the employees or change the employees. Yeah. I think there's a lot of validity in that. I, I uh, you know, I, I may be a little too flip about it, but oftentimes when people will ask me questions about what they can do and they mm-hmm. describe their corporate culture and I tell them to quit. Mm. Right. I mean, you, you're a skilled software developer right. and the market is great. Quit. Don't sit there and be a victim. You Don't know, settle. I, I talk to people that live in these carpeted gray jail cells right. where people come by every so often, like in office space, and yeah. abuse them. And yeah. I'm like, it's not. There are other options for you. But I think there's also another point. As soon as you get to the place where you're prepared to leave, you're also prepared to make change. Mm. Like, the, yeah. the, there's an empowerment to I'm not dependent on you, and so now I'm going to. You start flexing that that lack of fear. Uh, maybe you don't actually end up leaving. Maybe you actually change your workspace. I mean, it's a good idea to, to go on interviews times. even if you don't want to change your job. Does that happen often? I, th- I think there's part, you know, uh, as a guy who ends up in an awful lot of negotiations for various different things, the only way you can actually negotiate effectively is when one of the options is to not negotiate. Mm-hmm. When you're prepared to walk away, 
you actually have the full spectrum of possibility in front of you. And I think that, you know, I, what I have seen is when someone's finally gotten to the point where they're prepared to leave and starts making movements towards that, uh, their value starts to reappear again and, uh, and things can change. Yeah, I usually find that when that is happening, that person is reconnected with what makes them unique and special. Right. And they were obfuscating it to fit in. Before. Before. Well, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, Having had to put together and work with sales teams, one of the things I came to recognize about salespeople is they always interview. In fact, I don't trust a salesperson that isn't interviewing. Right. And I wonder what it would take for developers to get that same mindset, to have routine reinforcement of the value of their abilities outside of their immediate circle. I think that's why it's important for developers to actually interact with people who actually use what they develop. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, especially in corporate culture, it tends to happen where you end up working on, for years at a stretch, toiling away over code that you never see have an impact. Right. And And not that it didn't have an impact, but you haven't gone to look. But you have no connection to Mm -hmm. it. And when that happens, you have this weird sense of, did it matter that it came at all? It may have. It may have been brilliant that you were there. Yeah. But if you don't know, if you never feel that, if you have no emotional investment in it, it's easy to become detached. And then why do you want to argue anything? Why be passionate about anything? Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, well, I can't do what I need here. I can't grow here. So I'm going to go somewhere else. So I'm going to reinvest in myself and figure out how to tell others that I'm worthwhile. Right. Yeah. So I go home and I start learning again. And then I'm, now I can move on. But then those people at work go, wow, that, wait, wait, there's that yeah, guy wait. over here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where were you for the last three years? Uh, so I, I think if, if, if there is more of that, then, then it it would be easier for them to have that esteem uh, or for us all to have that esteem going forward. I think Richard, you, you mentioned sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that uh, that I've heard, because uh, as an independent business person, I have to actually study sales, yep. which is something I didn't really know. And one uh, piece of advice that I really took to heart was play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. If you are always trying to overcome your shortcomings, you become me too. You offer nothing unique in the market. Right. And then people are just going to say, well, can you throw this in for free and this in for free? But if you are focusing on mm. your strengths, some of the market is not for you. Yes, That's right. But you're going to be better suited. So in an organization, you don't have to be a generalist of everything. You could be really good at this part of the system yeah. or this part of the code. Now, I think the most valuable word I ever learned in business was saying no. Absolutely. When I started turning down the work that I wasn't great at and that I didn't love, I got more of the work that I was great at and I did love. Follow your bliss. Joe Campbell, right? Joe Campbell, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And, and so I think, uh, you know, when we talk about this communication and that sort of thing, we're talking about w- we want people to be happy and productive and, and really feel a sense of worth and value in what they're doing. And what Leon's point that if you're disconnected from the user, you never actually realize that you deliver value. You know, mm. if all you talk to is a product manager, yep. that person's the same day in and day out, no matter what you ship. That's right. And so, uh, so con- if you're connecting with the user, then you're doing all of this listening that we've been talking about and it's amazing feedback. And then if the whole team is doing that, you have a sense of, wow, we're actually doing something that's making someone's life better. Right. That's, you know, one thing I like about being on, uh, in turtle products is I can walk down the hall or go up the elevator and talk to the person using the code. You know, they're very accessible and, uh, and that's just so healthy because it, it, what it leads me to do, because if, if I don't have any of this direct feedback, hmm. I wonder off building whatever I want, castles in the air, you know? <laughs> uh, but if I got the user right there, then I'm staying totally focused on what they need and not building what they don't. Yeah. At Strange Loop, uh, where we're making the appliance for making websites go faster, we obviously have an ops team that's installing these things out in the field, and we have a dev team that's building new features. And uh, every developer 
rotates for a quarter onto the ops team every couple of Great. years. Uh, and what's, what I find fun about that is they come back very glad to be a developer again. Uh, <laughs> made the right choice. Yeah, that, that's an experience. But they also have spent a bunch of time with customers. Like they have a very different view of the product after that. Uh, and especially when you're building a network appliance, they find out that failing is really, really bad when you're a network appliance. Mm -hmm. People have very high expectations of appliances, much higher than regular software. Mm -hmm. it, it, it definitely molded an, an attitude there. But, you know, that's, uh, we, I guess we were fortunate in the sense that, at, at Strange, that we had, we, we've been a leadership team that was pretty keen on how do we make everybody better. I think it's going to be very tough as a developer to make the case, what have I got to do to be able to, to get a visibility into how people are using my product? I think as a developer, you have to understand if you, A, are missing it, mm -hmm. like if you don't have that, if it isn't there, and then to be find the person who can get it to you. Mm -hmm. So if you have product managers that sit in front of you know, their customers or they sit in front of marketing managers who actually do interact with customers, yep. then find out from your product manager, hey, when is the marketing management team doing another group? Or yeah, because I'd I, like to be there. Yeah, I'd love to just see this. It's rare that they say no. Yeah. It's like, hey, I'm really interested in this product we're building can i meet somebody who's used it and it's like no get back in your cave troll like that's gonna happen like <laughs> no and i think product managers like many singletons in a in a team uh feel misunderstood mm -hmm. for you to actually value what that guy's doing and want to be participate to some degree uh is incredibly validating and Absolutely. as well as being insightful for you Absolutely. Well, that role wouldn't be created if it didn't have value. Sure. It's just when it's misused. It's it's just like when, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a team where the project manager was put in the position of being the dev manager, as mm -hmm. though the project manager was managing the developers, yeah. rather than being more of a peer and cooperative relationship where the project manager was handling the things the devs didn't want to deal right. with, you know, and protecting the devs from whoever ha he had to deal with outside of the development process. I, I have definitely run into teams where the devs did not believe a product manager was necessary, that they understood what the product was supposed to do, and by golly, they were going to build what they thought they should build, mm. regardless of the specifications written. How'd that work for them? Well, it was a long day for everybody, wasn't it? The, the worst thing that could happen to, to a software developer is to have unlimited time and unlimited budget. <laughs> yeah, uh, ask the Vista team. Or, or if you've ever read Dreaming. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? That's a shame. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Hey, what, where is that WinFS anyway? <laughs> now, have you ever read Dreaming in Code? Yes. It's a great example of what happens when you get just amazingly brilliant people, but they, they don't have constraints. Yeah, you in don't bound them. Right. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of, of having this interaction. That's the role of a product manager is to put those constraints on mm -hmm. there. You know, this is the top priority. You know, uh, Steve Jobs used to take his executives out and they do this retreat and they'd come at the end and they make a list of the top 10 things that they needed to do in Apple. And everybody would argue about what was the priority of all these things. And they get it all stack ranked there. And then he would throw the bottom seven away. So we only have time to do three things. Wow. Surfing the web? Yeah. You ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it.
Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. Well, if you think about an orchestra warming up, you know, everybody's playing their scales as fast as they possibly can. Uh, and once you constrain them to go along time and with a chart and score, you've, you, you, you've got music. Right. That's where the art comes from. And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to realize this because I always thought, oh, I wish they'd just let me do what I want to do and give me more time. Mm -hmm. And and you realize the stuff you don't build, just like the white space in a drawing mm -hmm. or the things you don't say the when you're writing. between the notes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That says a lot about uh, the value of your product. Mm-hmm. Wow, we brought it back to spaces between the notes because I'll tell you what, this is a conversation I have with musicians <laughs> and it's difficult to, more difficult to not play than it is to play. And you can always tell that the, the good play, the people that I like to listen to, they make their instruments speak as if they were talking and they leave a lot of space. And the best code you'll ever read does the same thing. Mm -hmm. And actually you think good conversations are shaped the same way as well. Absolutely. Well, you just said code you, that you'll ever read. I mean, uh, one thing that I'm always encouraging developers to do to get better with, at what they're doing is to read more code. Oh, that you have to do that. That's 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 first and foremost. The young the young ones in in the office will always show like burst to show me how much code they can write. Right. And I ask, well, what have you read? Mm -hmm. hmm. And it's usually nothing. Right. No, I'm paid to make code, not mm. to consume code. Yeah. What right. are you talking about? That's right. You're not paid to write code. You're paid to create things that don't exist. Well, and the mm -hmm. best authors of books are also voracious readers. You can't be a good writer without being a good reader. Exactly. Stephen, Stephen King writes 10 pages a day, but he reads a novel a week. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Now, uh, let me spin this whole situation a little bit. Aren't I just going to screw up my lovely coding career by getting involved in this whole leadership thing? <laughs> I just want to sit in my cube and yeah. write my code. Just stick pizzas under the door. I'll stick disks back out or maybe thumb drives. <laughs> well, it's not for everyone, hmm? right? It really isn't. I mean, uh, a team needs a leader, right? People need leader. Initiatives need leaders. But... There would be no leader without followers. Mm -hmm. So you may not be the person sticking your neck out there, taking the slings and arrows, but to join someone right. is just as valuable. And you still have to know how to interact with those leaders exactly. in a constructive right. way. Yeah, I always find that, that the teams that I work with and, and, and build with new contexts act more like flocks of birds yep. than, than hierarchical, like, you know, uh, org charts or, or marching orders or command, you know, lines of command, chains of command. Um, in the sense that the person who's leading the, the, the group may not be the dedicated leader. Mm -hmm. And that person is going to pivot and it's going to change sometimes daily, sometimes hourly. Sure. But mm -hmm. yeah, you're talking about de jure leader versus de facto leader. Yeah. Well, it can yeah, be exhausting. There yeah. are de facto leaders, and you need that in certain certain situations. Sure. sure. And if you have really large teams and a giant spanning hierarchy of individuals that you have to like cross manage that never actually interact with one another, then yeah, there has to be levels there so that you can effectively make sure that everyone is actually communicating. Right. Because even if they're not communicating at the base level, they are at some point communicating across that table. But for me, that's too big. So I stay away from that. Mm -hmm. So I, I like it to be big enough that, that you can get messy. Um, 
but it has to be that, that everyone has the opportunity to find that that part to to lead to show us what they have to say. Do you have some magic numbers in there? What to you in your mind is an optimal team size? So optimal is anything over one. <laughs> I'm pretty and, good at talking to myself. Yeah, exactly. I'm not so good at listening to myself, but I'm pretty good at talking to myself. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, but probably somewhere in the range of like under 50. Okay. It still um, seems like a lot. Like, I, I, it's still a big team, like, but we've managed those sizes effectively. What a sweet spot ends up being is somewhere in the range of like, Five to 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That ends I, up being wonderful. I've always measured it from the perspective of we're sitting around a table and everybody can hear everybody. Sure. Mm-hmm. Whatever that size happens to be and how loud people happen to be. And we're sitting at a table and everyone feels like they have something to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels like they're actively contributing to the conversation. That they're not just in the conversation. They're not right. just a part of the conversation. Or a witness of the conversation. It's yeah. probably a magic number because, you know, you talked about the tribe before and how mm-hmm. food sort of brings out that deep you know, reptile brain tribal right. bond, the amount of people that can stand in a circle and still hear each other. Or sit around a campfire and hear the storyteller. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's now, probably the ultimate Are you familiar with size. the concept of Dunbar's number? That they're, uh, this researcher, it's a number somewhere around 150. Right. But it's like the number of people that you can hold in your head and maintain relationships with. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a uh, uh, a tribe of people that wander around, in your lifetime, you probably won't know more than 150 people. Sure. Right? And and so there's something about that being wired in our brain. And uh, the folks that make Gore-Tex have a... Uh, in their corporation, if a location gets over some number, it may be 150, maybe 300, I don't remember, they will spin off to a new building hmm. because everyone in the building needs to know everyone else in order for them to feel like they're really being productive and staying on task. Strange how it all comes back to these ancient ideas. Yeah. Well, we forget that. We think we're modern people, but our right. brains, are, you know, are, are we. So uh, let's say Homo sapiens have been on the planet for 200,000 years, right? Yeah. And we've had agriculture for at most 15,000. So we've, we've lived in this kind of stationary lifestyle for only 15,000 years. Mm. That means all of our wiring is built for a different kind of world than we're living right. in today. And certainly at the rate of change of technology, we're definitely not prepared for this. Right. There's no way we can keep up and, and adapt. That's why it's so interesting. Uh, you know, people like my age, I mean, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm turning into Billy Hollis, you know, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this, this, this old curmudgeon, right? You know, Windows 8 comes out and I'm like, oh, there's no start menu and this, that, and the other, right? But, you know, give it to one of my kids. You are cranky. Yeah, I know. But you give it to one of my kids. They get it. Man, they're right up because they, they don't have any pre-existing assumptions for yeah. it. Well, their pre-existing assumptions are, you know, the iPhone, right? You exactly. know, which yeah, is yeah. obviously to them, as I said in my talk, you know, your your people are complaining because of the lack of complexity. <laughs> you know, it's too right. simple. You know, I, where's where's all the complex stuff that I need? Because I know the Chrome around my window. Where's the Chrome? <laughs> nice. And where's all multiple levels of file menu options? Right. Yeah. I mean, what's an app with no tree view? It doesn't make sense. Exactly. <laughs> Give me my hierarchies, damn it. Right. Right. Uh, assembling a new team. Who is the tougher resource to find? The leader or the first follower? <laughs> first follower? First Always. Follower. I'm with you. Most folks. Anyone can be crazy. Yeah. It's <laughs> getting somebody to follow crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a great quote. <laughs> well, that person's who's, taking a really big risk. Who's I mean, crazier? I think the a bigger risk. Yeah, the, the person that, that I, I mean, when you have the crazy idea, older. you already believe in what you're doing. You're yeah. already going to go forward and do whatever it is. And then somebody else to join you yeah. risks all kinds of criticism because mm-hmm. they didn't create this idea. Yes. You know? And that's, that's why in a startup culture, you know, the, I, I don't, I read a lot about startups where people that were really successful initially, there's a great blog post recently about uh, someone who got fired from Facebook mm-hmm. and he calls it, you know, the hundred million dollar oh, yeah. error. And it was, it was a great conversation, but he was the guy when Facebook was 200 people, Yep, yeah. you know, because he could solve problems and he could, you know, and then when you get to be 2000 people, mm. that person is a they're they're sand in the gears, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's right. And they had to move him out. Yeah. So uh so the the first follower is a little nutty, mm-hmm. right? But once that becomes an established culture, you know, you gotta you gotta harness those people. Yeah, and and, and it's interesting that, that that role evolves. I also think that there's an incredible power to a first follower that uh, there's an awful lot of folks, I think, in our industry that don't want to be leaders, but ultimately what establishes a team is the first follower. Mm-hmm. You, that's when you start tipping things over. Yeah. You look out for leaders, look out for first followers, and then look out for critics. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's when you know it's gone too far. When, when's the critics show up? When the critics show up and they've f- forged an identity based on contributing nothing and have an opinion about everything. Yes. Now, I, I call they're them, cancer. Get rid they, of them. They're pigeon players. Yeah. They show up, eat your food, and poop on your plans, and then fly off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Today they don't fly away; they yeah. just stay. Well, eventually Rapping the food shows up again. Crapping. Yeah. Well, and that's where I think uh, it's valuable <laughs> to have mentors, and and the role that you described uh, at your job is den mother. Yeah. You know, you get all these young devs coming in, and you pull them together, and you te- you tell the stories of the tribe, right? You you mm-hmm. get them enculturated where they share the values and mm-hmm. they know the way things. We- happen here. One of my favorite questions when I come into a new client is, how do we do things around here? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whatever the topic is, how do we release software? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we do a build? And if nobody can answer that, then we've got some fundamental problems. Yeah. We've got to step back, right? But you, your role is to help get these people in there so they know the way we do things here. So it's much harder for critics to get any traction when the whole team shares this set of sense of values and a shared identity. Okay. Sure. So the piece we've walked around on this so far, all the way back to the poison person so forth, is uh, when is making it work actually beating a dead horse? What, at what point do you need to separate this person from the group? And, and how do you go about that? So the poisoned person, mm-hmm. the person who, first the question is, are they contributing? Right. And nine times out of 10, you're going to find out that that person is not contributing or not contributing to a level at which they feel that they could be utilized. Mm -hmm. Right. So I find this in uh, management a lot. So like there would be a a manager who's either doing devs or doing business requirements or whomever they are. They come to a stand-up or they come to the iteration planning meeting and they're nothing but negativity. They're nothing but that won't work. Mm-hmm. This is right. the garbage, blah, blah, blah. That'll take too long. And over time, what I realized is that person doesn't have a job. Right. What, right. They, what, they, what they have is a role and they're filling it with air. That's right. all they have. Mm-hmm. So I solve this problem literally nine times out of 10 just by 
understanding what they do best mm-hmm. and asking them to do it. Right. Nice. You know, I brought this up on the show with you before, which is sometimes the guy back in the, you know, throwing stones from his perspective, he's seen these people make this foolish mistake time and time and time again, but he feels like, you know what? I know the answer. I'm not going to give it to them because <laughs> I don't like them and they don't like me and I'm just going to sit here and lead them to their stupidity, right? And so, because he feels underutilized because nobody came to him and said, hey, you have some experience with this. Will you help us? What are we doing wrong? Well, this, this is actually uh, a psychological phenomenon where uh, you, you get to feel elevated and, and it's... Uh, uh, there's a book called Mindset where it's discussed, but the sense of like a uh, child that's in the accelerated classes, mm. right? Once they're labeled gifted, yep. yeah. it's a much greater risk for them to fail at something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as long as this person is sitting at the back throwing stones, they can feel above it all. Right. And, you know, but when you actually say, well, great, why don't you fix it? Well, now they know it's not going to be perfect. Right. Yep. You know, but as long as they don't actually have to do that, they right. can feel above it all. That's sort of the the old adage of having a psychological crutch to fall back on. You know, we, you know, we, if we have something that's either, you know, a, a physical or mental handicap or, or an emotional handicap or something we wear on our sleeve proudly, because, hey, you know what? That's my ult- ultimate excuse when things don't work out. Yep. Right. Sure. Rather than trying to rise above it and... My family uh, was dysfunctional. Right. Yeah. So the all the other side is, is eventually if you if you cannot reach that person, if you can't, yeah. yeah. And I was going to ask you this: Do you save them all? Um, I tr- I don't know if save is the right word. Like, if do I help them? Do I listen to what they're going through and mm-hmm. try and see if I can find a way to actualize what they want to be? Mm-hmm. Yes. Help them save themselves. Yeah. Yes, because I can't save anyone. Yeah, that's right. right. Period. Like, I can just help you see something that you can't see for yourself. And if that helps you figure it out, awesome. But if not, I'm sorry. I tried my best. Right. Mm-hmm. For those people, and I have done this, I will find them. I will do my best to find them a position somewhere, either in a company I'm working for or somewhere else, where they can do what they do mm-hmm. really well. Not every f- firing, letting go walking away from a job we see these things typically as negative things yeah but they're not there are times when that person who's thinking can i change where i work or do i have to change where i work right when really it is i've already chosen i know i cannot do this i simply don't understand why i can't do this Mm -hmm. so i'm going to stay here as long as i possibly can hating it and hating it and hating it until i actually have to leave i'm going to destroy this right until i have to leave And that's ridiculous. Find this person. If you honestly, if this is a person who's on your team Mm -hmm. and you've said, I have a genuine emotional investment in you being awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to see you at the top of your game every day. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that here. Now I know what that is. Let me help you find a place where you can do it because I want to be there when it happens. Right. We. uh, I've been fired. Yeah. And. You know, looking back on it, I wasn't a good fit for the team. Sure. And well, it's better off in the long There's one of those, right. the, the next morning you wake up and you're relieved. Oh my goodness, I don't have to go back there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know I, what lies ahead, but that stress is gone. Yes, we, we are over that bit of misery. Now I can go find a new bit of misery to work on. Sure. You know, one thing <laughs> I, I like to say about is that 
every company is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. You just want to find one that's loving. They're like families. Right? <laughs> yeah. Families dysfunctional. Right. Just find one that's loving. So, uh, you know, you're going to go everywhere and there's going to be problems and people are, are, are not, communication's going to be bad and things are going to go wrong. But if the people care about each other, they trust one another, if they allow each other to take risks and fail, then it's cool. We're going to get better together. Mm-hmm. Here's a, you know, we talked about, and this is the last point, and then we got to wrap it up. But I think uh, we talked about you can't save people. You can only help them see what it is that they need to do to, to pick themselves up. And I think that uh, a, a good technique for doing this around the table, around the lunch table, is telling stories of the leaders, telling stories of their own failings and what they did to overcome them or deal with them. And, and that helps the, you know, the people who are struggling without having to admit their own problems see, you know, uh, oh, well, this person did that. I can do it as well. I think that's every talk Leon and I have ever given. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exploring your own failures. Well, I messed this up. Here, let me help you fix it. Yeah, probably. And with that, I think that's a show. So I'd like to uh, please give a big round of applause for Alan Stevens and Leon Gersing. <laughs> and hey, we'll see you next time on Donnet Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a